Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 121 of the Simple Life Podcast. Hope you are keeping well. Hope you are enjoying the dregs of our summer. I'm not going to spend five minutes complaining about the weather other than to say, where the fuck is the sun? Um, But yeah, I've probably just uh, got myself in trouble with YouTube there. I've just swore within the first 30 seconds of this, but hey ho. Um, Give us a like, share and subscribe if you do enjoy this, I guess. That will show you support because this algorithm really doesn't like me and the conversations we have on this platform. Well, all platforms, really, actually, to be honest with you. There seems to be a, a whole load of censorship out there in this modern age across social media platforms and media platforms in general. So anything you can do to show your love, I really appreciate, folks. Um, we are back with the first five-timer. I missed that five times. Uh, as I think I said when we uh, gave him his, his fourth. Uh, there is no magic jacket. There is no special sticker. I'm afraid you just join uh, an imaginary club with very other, uh, very few other people in. I'm afraid, Guy, you're going to be by yourself for a little while because I don't think anybody else is getting close to five times because, uh, yeah, you've just got so much work that you are doing. There's so much that you are working on uh, and so much to catch us up on. So I'm not going to waffle on much longer other than to quickly introduce you and then get on with a good catch up. So uh, yeah, today's guest is a UK-based cannabis and human rights advocate, activist and campaigner, and they are the founder of the Seed Our Future campaign. They are Guy Coxall. How are you doing, brother? Really good, brother. Yeah, great to be back. Uh, Thanks again. Yeah, loving the simple life, as always. You know, I think it's great how many people you get on this show and how you spread the truth, spread the all aspects of the industry. And uh, yeah, it's it's always an honor to be on your show. I appreciate, appreciate. I completely waffled my way through that uh, introductory segment, but yeah, we'll we'll get going. We'll find our feet as always here. Um, yeah, appreciate the kind words, and uh, yeah, I enjoy this, and I very much enjoy your company. So let's crack on and see what we've got. Uh, so I suppose quickly before we we get into a lot of the minutia, for anybody that hasn't already seen the previous four episodes, including yourself, uh, could you give us a quick sort of recap on your work and, you know, what you do in the space? Yeah, I mean, Seed Our Future, as you say, it's a campaign. We're, we're activists, uh, activists being people who are campaigning for political and social change, um, of course, around the plant. So, you know, we we help everybody in regard to the plant. You know, sometimes they're in a box, you know, we're not medical, we're not recreational, we're not industrial, we're not spiritual, we're all of it, all aspects of the plant, you know, it doesn't matter what you use it for, we're there to support people. Um, you know, we, we support um, people who don't have a prescription and get in trouble with the police for driving or cultivation or possession, but we also help patients who shouldn't be getting in trouble with the police or institutions but they do unfortunately because of the stigma and uh yeah we we help whoever we can and and we keep fighting to try and challenge these unjust laws until we win and uh we although it's slow i i think we are actually getting somewhere now you know we've got some big human rights challenges at the minute um and that could really uh change it you know get rid of these stupid laws that have been uh persecuting people for nearly a century now Mm. good succinct very uh concise good introduction good introduction uh you're teasing a bit of some of the topics that we'll cover uh in a little bit in terms of the human rights challenges etc uh i thought it pertinent while it's still in our memories and fresh product earth was only a couple of weeks ago 
And uh, yeah, Seed Our Future launched a new campaign. I believe that you opened up the seminar area and uh, yourself and I obviously spoke on a couple of panels as well. So let's delve into Product Earth. How did you find it? It was great, yeah. I mean, um, it's the third time I've been to Product Earth. Um, it just gets better each year, you know. I didn't, I, I, I wasn't able to go last year, unfortunately, because that was another event. Uh, but yeah, it was just great, you know. It just, it just does get bigger and better. Um, the music's still not quite my thing. It'd be nice to have a bit more, you know, of an eclectic mix. But uh, apart from that, yeah, great, great vibes, great people, great talks. Um, yeah. Great, lots and lots to see. Uh, I think the talks went really well. You know, it was it was an honour that uh, Matt, the uh, the founder, he um, invited me to open the festival with a talk. I'll, I'll correct you on that because uh, James was the founder, Matt is CEO. Oh, CEO, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just um, I, I could hear some people being like, <laughs> "Oh, you can't say that." <laughs> Continue. Yeah, so yeah, CEO, yeah, Matt, Matt Clifton. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he's been uh, following what I've been doing and he really wanted me to be able to have that showcase of opening the festival, doing a talk about the human rights, which we'll come to. Um, so that was great. And as he said, we did a couple of talks, uh, panels as well. Uh, we did a great one by the fireside with Ollie Mammon and um, an advocate from the UPA Chris. and uh, and uh, Jane Jane, um, H- Jane Hitchfield. Hitchfield. Yeah. Uh, apologies jane i can't remember hinchfield i want to say hinchcliffe <laughs> lovely lady uh, yeah i'm terrible with names. definitely got a first name correct and that for me that that's that, <laughs> that shows that i've actually you know i've taken it in blessed there's so many people i saw at product earth that were like be, Hi, how you doing man how you doing i'm like i can't remember yeah. your name i'm so sorry i remember you remember all the times we've spoken but names don't sit very well uh, it's really difficult and awkward at times, isn't it? You know, when somebody comes up to you and they start talk, talking to you and you're like, yeah, great, great. It's like, who who is this person? And, you know, yeah. So if you do come and talk to us, please do introduce yourself in case I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those things of because of uh, the kind of the environments that we meet a lot of people, you'll spend like a weekend at Product Earth where you, you can, you know, overindulge if one chooses. You're in such an environment and you meet hundreds mm. of people. And it's you have the fascinating conversation, and then it's it's. I always do it last. I'm like, oh my god, what was your name? Sorry, and, and grab the name, and it's mm-hmm. like my brain doesn't doesn't tag it onto that conversation. I remember vividly the conversation and the interaction, but then I just can't seem to get the name to to sort of stick. Something we need like yeah, name tags. It all name all tags, my name that's tags. That's a great idea. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take take heed, Matt. Matt. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just name little, tags. Little table, yeah. Hello, my name is. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. But there, no, yeah. it, was a, it was a really great weekend. I loved it. Yeah. No, I think it's probably one of the biggest and best um, cannabis events at the moment in the UK. You know, there's some good uh, other events. You know, there's um, Borofest and um, Paradise Gardens and things like that, which are newer. So that you know, they're still finding their feet and having teething problems and getting getting bigger. But yeah, no, I, I do like Product Earth. It's a great event. Mm. I think Product Earth is probably now the longest lasting continual obviously minus one of the lockdown events um that we, that we have yeah and it's, it's evolution and continual growth i think is something to admire and respect um you know james the the initial founder and his vision and getting off the ground and the amazing work that he did in the early years when there wasn't you know the protection of the uh medicinal access kind of laws from 2018 you know prior to that he 
he really found it in a time of quite difficulty and adversity and worked incredibly hard to you know lay the foundation for the events that sort of Matt has been um constructing as as the new CEO and I think the new team it's constantly evolving and it's quite diverse in terms of their their drives and their their wants and the kind of the direction they're taking it and it's exciting to yeah be a part of it and see where it goes um but I think every year it's it's a touchstone for the for the culture I think community's yeah. become too much of a contentious word um these days but in terms of like the wider cannabis culture in the UK I think that is the, the spot where people work all year to showcase their wares showcase their their skills their knowledge their talent you know what they've been up to everyone wants to kind of just 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 share it with each other and be excitedly be like weed nerds and be like, Oh, look, look, look at what I got. Look at what I did. And it's just such a wonderful vibe to be around. It's, it's a, a, a carnival, a celebration of cannabis culture. And I am all for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's great. Yeah. Uh, I was a little bit gutted because I was hoping to turn up with some good news. I mean, I don't know if you want to move into um anything regarding the human rights challenge or uh yeah we'll do human rights challenge and then we'll uh we'll talk about this little campaign here yeah that that would be the right order really because it, yeah. the campaign is uh, um superseding the the, the challenge so uh, yeah um so you probably remember the early those who have been following seed our future in the early days you know we did the no evidence no crime document uh back in 2020 um and it was challenging unjust laws, which is what we do. Um, and we, we, you know, it's been tried in the the courts of challenging the unjust laws, looking at the history of prohibition, looking at the the lack of harms. Um, but of course, what we realise is within the judicial system, what the judge will do is just go, well, the law is the law. You know, uh, we don't make the laws. If you want to challenge that, you need to go to Parliament. <clears throat> and of course, you try and go to Parliament with it, and it goes nowhere. It's it's a waste of time. So through a little bit of, you know, playing with it and, of course, using some of the work from the people that, like, you know, have preceded us, including Phil Monk from WTU, which was very much human rights focused. We looked at the human rights angles of it and, uh, yeah, um, we, we basically put together a, a defence for um, cultivation um using a human rights perspective by doing that what you're doing of course is not you just you're not just challenging the law you're challenging the law with the law because human rights are for everyone and they must prevail above statute law so yeah yeah we, we had a lad who i met last year um at paradise gardens actually and uh he he'd been done for cultivation for his own personal use for medical use and he asked if if we could help so uh we took it on put the defence together, had a bit of help. Uh, we've got a, um, a barrister, um, human rights barrister, who's helped in the background a little bit. And we got a really good defence together, got some top expert witnesses, all ready to go. And now in March, we went to the Crown Court, um, showed the defence to the court, to the judge and to the Crown Prosecution Service. And to our surprise, uh, the judge actually accepted the defence and said, yeah, there's a defence to be heard here. We're going to set it for a three day trial in, with a jury and um, uh, let's go with it. So that that's the, actually the first time, I believe, in UK law history that a human rights challenge against the Misuse of Drugs Act has actually been accepted by a court. Um, I think the closest one we got was 2005, which was the Quayle and others case, um, which had Jeff Ditchfield and others. 
um, and that was in 2005, but they used a medical necessity defence, which is why they didn't actually get anywhere. And the human rights challenge was never actually accepted, where this time, you know, the, the court have actually accepted the defence. So that was really exciting. Uh, unfortunately, just a few weeks before the, the trial was supposed to take place, which was actually the week before Product Earth, the three day trial, um, the court decided to put it back until September next next year which really surprised us all including the barrister including lawyers that I know and you know it seemed really odd why they're doing this why they're putting it back so far um my personal idea is that you know they've looked at the defense trying to find holes in it looked at the expert witnesses which you can't really top because they are the the top dogs in the industry here in the UK and um they couldn't they couldn't do anything but put it back so luckily I'd already kind of sort of prepped for that and thought well I'm not going to just do one case I'm going to find other people who are having the same issues with cultivation charges so I've got several of them uh the second one that got put back to December next year so they're obviously playing games you know uh but luckily I do have one the nearest one being mid-February next year so that's the closest so hopefully and it's a set trial date as well it's not a floating trial like they do sometimes mm. so hopefully that will go to a, a two or three day trial in February. And um, if the jury find the defendant not guilty, then that would essentially decriminalize cannabis or even deschedule if we're really lucky. So what we're actually looking at is, you know, the, the, the law is illegal because it breaches our human rights. It breaches our article eight human right, which is a right to a private family life. But that also includes autonomy of health and, uh, you know, hot autonomy of health means autonomy is Latin for self-law. So we have a self-law to put what we choose in our body and to treat ourselves, especially medical conditions, uh, however we choose. We don't have to, you know, go down the pharmaceutical route. We can use natural plant medicine if we want. And there's no difference between using cannabis or using echinacea or, you know, any any sort of medical plant. So that, that that's one aspect of it. But there's also Article 14, which is discrimination, because, you know, you've now got the medical uh, the medical industry. And, you know, if you can afford or can access a medical prescription, great. But there's only 1.6% of those in need. If you look at the statistics of 1.8 million medical users in the UK, that's only 1.6 can actually afford or access a medical prescription. So that's clearly discrimination. You know, mm. everybody should have the right to use the plant and medicate with it. So that's our argument in a nutshell. Uh, and we just need to get it in front of a jury. I, I think a jury would have to see sense, have to look at the, because we're using like all of the government's own documents, the advisory council of the misuse of drugs, you know, like, you know, mm. they're, they're the scientific committee who make these decisions on classification and scheduling. And if they're basically saying, well, actually, you know, there aren't really any harms or the harms are so negligible, they, they, don't compare to all the other controlled drugs within the legislation, then it shouldn't be Schedule 1. I mean, how can it be Schedule 1 when you've got no medical or therapeutic properties, it's highly addictive, highly dangerous? That's not cannabis. We all well, know that. The, the, yeah. I mean, the issue there is accepted. It's not about whether it has, it's about whether they accept it or not. So they can have contradictory schedules. That's why we have Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 cannabis under two different acts of legislation. Um, I think that third trial, 
in February, probably around November, December. They'll push that back. And my little conspiratorial heart would say, oh, we're getting very close to the five-year window, you know, that was extended from four to five to call general election for the current party. So it's almost as if somebody has said to the CPS that no, 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 you know, that in the judiciary, the, we can't have this happen in the lead up to a general election. Um, can you shed some more light on the mechanism by which, because I thought a Supreme Court decision would have to be made, not a Crown Court decision. So how would, uh, if a jury then agrees with the defence and finds them not guilty based on that defence, thus shoring up the human rights, um, how what is the mechanism that would then force Parliament to act? Well, that's the great thing uh, with the Misuse of Drugs Act, because it's a, it's a flexible act, it's a flexible tool. You know, it was always made there so that back in 1971, so that it would adapt with the scientific evidence. Now, the scientific evidence has been evolving over the last 50 years. And, you know, we know a lot more about the plant and the endocannabinoid system and so on and so on than we did 50 years ago. Mm. So it should have adapted. It should have changed. You know, you've, you've got the, the Secretary of State for the Home Department, currently Suella Braverman, you know, uh, the Secretary of State's in the past consistently ignored the advice of the ACMD and just it's all been they've even admitted it's been political. It's all about votes. Now, you can't, you know, cause all this harm in society with uh, criminalization of, a of people using a plant uh, based on politics. You know, it has to be based on science. So the great thing about the flexibility of the act is the secretary of state is ultimately responsible for the scheduling and the classification of controlled substances within the act. So that makes it secondary legislation because the secretary of state is classed as a public authority. Yeah. Now, if it's primary legislation, you're absolutely right. What would happen if, if the defendants found not, not guilty is it would go to Parliament. The two houses would discuss it and it would probably just get swept under the carpet where because it's the secretary of state and it's a, a secondary legislation that would actually find the law ultra vires, in, in other words, illegal. And the secretary of state by law will have to change it to a, a, a at least change the scheduling and the classification to something appropriate. Now, we've actually assessed other controlled substances within the Act. Um, so if you go down to Schedule 4, you've got things like anabolic steroids that bodybuilders use, and they're far more harmful. I mean, you know, like they cause heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, uh, brain damage. 34% of people are addicted to them. It's a gateway drug to harder drugs. You know, roid rage, uh, domestic abuse, all these different things. You know, so the only logical solution would be to either deschedule cannabis completely, in other words, remove it entirely from the act, so it would be regulated the same as alcohol, and you should be able to grow your own, same as brewers' rights, or it will go to Schedule 5, and that would essentially decriminalise as well. It would decriminalise personal use, possession, right. the uh, cultivation. Effectively, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it you know we just need to get the the jury to actually hear the trial and find the defendant not guilty and then yeah we then, then there's the push really to make the change as soon as possible for everybody i think that's probably why one of the reasons they want to push this back to uh after the next general election because as you say it then becomes the emphasis 
and the impetus is on one individual to act within their position in one department rather than the entirety of the government, which would, as yeah, we say, reforms to acts of legislation can take decades. Do you know what I mean? And then once even something's passed, the ratification of something, the royal assent of it in its actual uh, codifying into law can take, well, frankly, centuries. I think we're not as quite as bad as the Americans with they've got there's one of their acts, um, which I think are w- women's rights. The several of the states haven't ratified like nearly eighty years after the fact, um, so we're not quite that bad. But yeah, there there's some some fuckery goes on afoot. So okay, yeah. I think that the the main thing, if that then puts the emphasis on them, it will at least give an opportunity to expose the public to this argument to understand this that if the ju- ju- judiciary, the highest authority on the land. Do you know what I mean? They are permanent. They are permanent structures. The judges themselves, the fact that they don all of their fucking robes and their wigs and all the rest of it is they're a pageantry because they're at a performance because they are performing for the crown. And so that esteem, that authority that they are given, if then they have to obviously follow the letter of the law and act as the jury directs them uh, in terms of a ruling. Um yeah, man, that's got to have sway in the public. That's got to allow us an opportunity to have these conversations and further highlight the hypocrisies of the current system that if you have your magic piece of paper, you are protected. But if you don't, you're a dangerous criminal. Yeah, the plant is the plant is the plant. It's the people that are criminalized and are having the problem. So it's exciting. It is exciting. Um, be interesting to see again. How, how- I think a great analogy for that is uh, the driving legislation. So that this is something else we've been working on, you know, the, the Road Traffic Act. You know, anybody who gets stopped by the police and the police suspect they may have an, a, a controlled substance in them, they'll give them a swab, which shows for THC cocaine. Um, you know, if it comes up positive for THC, they'll arrest you, do a blood test. And if you're above the zero tolerance limit, you're going to get a criminal record, 12-month ban, and very expensive insurance for the next 11 years. But there's no evidence of impairment. But like you say, if you've got that piece of paper, you've got that prescription, you have a statutory medical defence in law to exceed that zero-tolerance limit. In fact, any limit, there isn't a limit, as long as you're not impaired. It's a a per se zero-tolerance. Per se, because zero tolerance literally means zero, as in, but it's the, the per se is the... Yeah, yeah, uh, it's actually, yeah. yeah and it's, it's an, you know what I mean, I'm it's sticking two micrograms per litre, but you could get... Yeah. Which is, is virtually zero, I yeah, agree, I, I but, but the point of it is, yeah, in a court of law, etc. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. it is, it's, it's a fuckery, because... Uh, as we've seen from people that have, you know, under advice from people like yourself have stood litigate in person, there is no level or limit to it that because of the way it metabolizes in the body, the way that you're, we love cannabinoids, you store it in your fingernails, in your hair, in, in your fat, like your body holds the fuck onto it because it wants to use these things. Um, so then if you exert yourself physically, say after a good smoke session and you're like in 36 hours after the fact, and you've got a size to you and you exert yourself, your body will will present like you are intoxicated as if you just consumed. And then obviously there's variance in whether you're a new consumer or a long-term consumer in terms of presence, but that doesn't then, as you said, determine uh, impairment. Uh, It's it's a farce. And what's more of a farce to me is that as a prescription holder with my magic piece of paper, I can sit in my car, grind my weed at a traffic light, tip it into a vaporizer and vape. 
but I can't smoke a blunt. And that I cannot get my head right. I get more therapeutic benefit from the combustion of that blunt than refilling that bowl with two or three grams. All I'm going to do is get a headache, get it's almost dissociative, whereas the full bodied effect of, of just a small blunt, I'm not talking about blazing a fucking fucking half gram, a uh, half ounce, you know, fat bat, just a, a small sort of single skin of blunt that you could just touch on as, as you're going throughout a long journey or whatever, in the same way that anybody would with a vaporize. So I, I see no difference whatsoever, but in the law, that's a, oh, I should nullify your prescription. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. But if you look at the actual well, I, I think, I statutes, think... it, there doesn't seem to be a rule of how they punish you for this. Not that I'm I encouraging anyone to do this. It's, it's, a, it's a gray area, isn't it? You know, the reason you're not allowed to smoke your medication is because you're smoking it and really you're not supposed to smoke your medication. You're supposed to use a, a, but, but, but a why, medical device and vaporize it. But why not? Because they're concerned of the, I suppose it's again, it's the stigma. It's the idea of smoking a substance. It's carcinogenic. But actually, you know, a lot of the research actually shows that if it's a blunt and it doesn't have tobacco in, it's perfectly medical and perfectly safe. So it's the, the problem is with the driving one, it would actually create a criminal offence because within the legislation, you have to be not impaired. You have to be legally prescribed and you have to be following your practice guidance so that's where you would slip up if you were smoking in the car you're not following your practitioner's guidance and that's where you would fail well, on the statutory defense would this, this see this is where i think we would have a defense in court and i would i would personally fight this for myself if it happened to me um my physician's advice was a recommendation your honor when pressed on what that recommendation meant he did nothing further than recommend the legal definition of a recommendation is not an instruction it is not an order i was not ordered by my prescriber of how to consume it i was advised i took that advice under consideration your honor i chose as a free individual to not follow that guidance in the same way when i was prescribed gardening when i was like 17 and i was depressed and the doctor was like oh you need to do more more outdoor things get more into nature and did i get in trouble if i didn't get a fucking scene with a hoe in my hand or a little plow what do you call it a trowel do you know what i mean so it's it's uh, there's enough I think ambiguity in the law <laughs> to be able to fight these things as as we're seeing obviously, but I just want there to be certainty. I want to be told what are the fucking confines because so you're saying that I can then smoke a joint, I can smoke a fucking half ounce joint, then as long as I'm not seen, and then get in my car, and then get oh you pulled over you smell a weed sir oh here's my vaporizer my prescription oh you're fine sir, but if I'm seen smoking like it. It, again, it's just judge me on my driving. Do, do, do you know what I mean? And this is the argument that uh, that we make. Obviously, we see in our future and, and everything else is that put it back from section five A to section four under the nineteen ninety eight nineteen eighty eight sorry Road Traffic Act, um, and actually judge people based on that. Because again, there were some people that that may very well with their lawful prescription, you know, first time as you've never used weed before or whatever, and only two days into it and there may be an impairment element there because they haven't developed oh, a tolerance, yeah. but the law protects them for that. And it's just, I want there to be rational laws. Do you know what I mean? I'm not the true anarchist I was previous where I was like, fucking burn everything to the ground. We'll, we'll deal with whatever we deal with. Some rules need to exist as long as they make fucking sense. And as long as they're ubiquitously equitable, as long as they're fairly applied across the board. And this just seems like another obfuscation 
of responsibility to deal with prohibition that if you know the right sentences to say, if you have the right pieces of paper and you know the right people and pay the right people, you're protected. Is, isn't that just racketeering? Well, isn't that racketeering? You, well, yeah, it is. Yeah, but, and you'd think you'd, you were protected. But what's really astonished me, working with all these patients with their driving cases, and, you know, I've got a great success rate. Um, everyone, every patient I've worked with with a driving offence has got off with it, and they've gone litigant in person. They've represented themselves with, with me prepping them and putting their defence together. There was only one case where uh, somebody uh, pleaded not guilty, uh, pleaded guilty, sorry, because they were coerced in the court, as they do, because they say, oh, you know, you, you get a third off your sentence if you plead guilty today, and, you know, you, you're going to end up with thousands of pounds of court fees if you don't, and, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a stressful situation in the first place, so it makes it even harder, especially if somebody's got a, some sort of anxiety disorder or something. Mm-hmm. So, but the police... The, the Crown Prosecution Service, even defence solicitors, don't know the law. It's almost like they're blind to this part in the legislation that says if you're prescribed it for medical reasons and you're following your practitioner's guidance, you've got a medical defence in law. They've never heard of it because they're so used to processing people with cannabis in the system, through the system, that they're astonished. They think, but they're over the limit. Yeah, they think it's the same as alcohol. It's not. It's, it's got no relevance whatsoever to impairment. And even the, the government's own documents say that. Yeah, there's one point, actually, I think it's important to put on the record here for people as well to remember. Um, when you are within the or under the defense of your prescription, impairment is only implied by yourself. Another person cannot tell you your prescription is impairing you, no matter what they say. And they will fucking try it. I think we we got five key words and one of the ones we've done previously. Don't ever say you're drowsy, you're sleepy, you're tired. uh, Impaired is obviously a big one. Or any synonyms for those kind of words. Do not ever allude to the fact that you were feeling that your prescription could have impaired your driving. There is nothing any other person can state that. They could state that you were driving without due care and attention with a prescription and do you for whatever else if there's evidence of it. But in terms of individual impairments, you have to say you're impaired. Just a, a nice bit of advice for people to remember that. Of course, the police can do a, what's called a field impairment test as well, make you walk uh, in can, a straight they, line, touch your nose, things like that. But most it, police officers aren't actually... Um, uh, trained in that anymore you know they used to be trained when it was section four but now it's section 5a they've taken all the the policing away there's no investigation needed just a blood test yeah with this you know? um there's also a defense for depending on what your prescription is if you had it for an anxiety disorder or something like that you would then have also a defense for why you may fail the field sobriety test under the yes. pressure of said given moment so again it's just it's worth people exploring uh Fuck it, I'm going to give some advice. That you, screw it, yeah, get me in trouble, why not? Uh, it's worth people exploring multiple diagnoses on their prescription. If you hold it for one, it is far easier for you to then get it for a secondary uh, condition through the clinic directly. So have that conversation with your prescribing clinician because if you have a history of anxiety, having something like that in your record would be of great benefit to you if this hypothetical situation were to, to arise. This is not to be constituted as a defense used in a courtroom um but just some some unofficial advice from uh from uncle simba <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other one as well is uh if you happen to have a a needle phobia and you don't have a prescription uh that would give you a a reasonable excuse to refuse a blood test but you'd have to have it on your medical notes 
just a little uh, tip of the day. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, one one, one more. Oh, we can we can add some extra for that. Actually, uh, that that process may or may not be an incredibly easy process of just having a conversation with uh, one of your friendly GPs. They can make a custom edit note to your summary of care record, and it will show up. Uh, there is a coding for it. They'll basically drop down, boom, dim, put a thing, act uh, and activate in investigative investigation date, and that'll be locked onto your record. Um, so yeah, some. Not advice, advice in hypothetical situations uh, from Seed or Future there. <laughs> uh, all right, sweet, sweet. Um, I suppose this leads us on to then the Share the Truth and End the Stigma campaign, uh, which was launched at Product Earth this year. Can I see? I've got too much white. This is this, this, far too much white. But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll include uh, links, obviously, below to the campaign. But for people that don't know, Guy, could you give us a... Uh, yeah, a quick synopsis of what it is and what your intentions are. Yeah, so so we've got a new page on the website at cedarfuture.co.uk called Get Involved. If you go click on the tab and go to that page, you'll uh, see all the instructions. So, yeah, as we were discussing, these cases, the human rights cases, keep getting put back. And, you know, we could be playing that game for a long time, as you said. So what we thought was... What we're going to do is put the defence together, the human rights defence, and turn it into a generic document. So it's not actually giving any information away relating to any of the live cases that we've currently got. It's really just a normal seed our future document, really, that goes into the laws, why it's wrong. It's all fully referenced. Um, and what we're trying to do is get you to send that to your MP and ask them to act on it because it's indisputable evidence that the law is breaching our convention rights millions of people's convention rights now your mp for your constituency has a right to defend their constituents they have to do what's right for them and if their human rights are being breached and you know recently there was a, a research report that showed over 50 percent of the uk population are eligible for a medical cannabis prescription so, you know, that's half of their constituents, but probably almost all of them because they've all got an endocannabinoid system. So, you know, th this information is really clear. It's really well referenced. You know, it's put together well. So there's a, there's a template uh, email for you to fill in. So you just put your MP's name at the top, put your name and Put, all right cool you're bringing it up uh so yeah put put your name and make sure you put your full address with your postcode at the bottom because you need that and then send that off to your mp um with the attachment of the report and see what you get back whatever you get back please email it to seedarfuture at mail.com and uh, we can analyze all of those responses and respond to those responses and you know any minister can actually lobby the Secretary of State and the ACMD to reassess uh, some part of the Misuse of Drugs Act. So, you know, if, you, if we had a hand, even a handful of MPs actually mm. pushing for the ACMD to reassess, you know, the validity of the scheduling and classification of cannabis within the Misuse of Drugs Act, you know, they'll have to do that. And that, that can push it in that direction or at least put enough pressure on while we're waiting for this trial to come to come to a head. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the idea of it, really. But that's actually just the first part. There's going to be more bits for you to get involved in. You know, there's going to be contacting your police and crime commissioner, contacting your local councils, uh, you know, uh, lobbying for a change in the Road Traffic Act as well, because we have got a human rights 
um, live cases now, the same as we're doing with the Misuse of Drugs Act, to try and get it removed from Section 5A and reverted back to Section 4. So that gives a level playing field for everyone. So if you're worried, if you use cannabis and you don't have a prescription and you're worried about getting pulled by the police and losing your license, then get involved. If you're worried about being done for possession or cultivation, get involved. You know, we if we all fight together and all unify, we can we can end the, this war on us. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what the campaign's about. Lush. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I think... It's a direct approach. Obviously, we have tried approaching the MPs before and we always get our copy paste response. But as you say, trying to trigger them into action because of the uh, mechanisms in place as them being constituency representatives to have to represent their constituents. Um, So I I think it's, it's important. And the fact that it is it's so well referenced to the point the judiciary are accepting it means that informed representatives that actually give a fuck about the people that they represent should really be looking at this and, and understanding it. And as I'm, I've been hoping and I really was enthused with uh, a lot of energy and optimism by Product Earth and the panels we participated in is this idea that people are eager for an alternative to this corporate legalization bullshit, this idea that the big boys will come in and they'll just own it and the big fish will eat the, the little fish until there's just a bunch of sharks left in the water and we can't even dip our toe in. And people want an opportunity for a, a, a new grassroots movement, for something to believe in, to back and to support. And I think the the campaigns, not just this one, but the, the future campaigns that are sort of planned are a, a great uh, lighthouse in that darkness to people. It's a small action, 10, 15 minutes maximum in terms of what you can do to send it but the weight and the volume of these collectively together could really start to create a discourse in a space where there really hasn't been much debate for a long time there's just been consensus of puppets and stoolies and paid individuals to just regurgitate corporate sound bites until you know we're regurgitating them too and i think like i said we need this now more than ever this alternative voice this alternative movement to free ourselves rather than be tricked into further restricting cannabis under the auspice and the illusion that we're actually liberating ourselves when we're further imprisoning ourselves. So it's great work. Obviously I'll include links in that below. Um, I'll, we'll fill mine out at the end of this. Uh, I'll see if I can actually do it in a way that I can record it without giving too much of my personal details away. Uh, so people can see how easy it is to do. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great campaign, Need needs support. And I think Seed Our Future has got a, a bright future in the space um, because it's representing the voice of the, the, the consumer, of the people. Whereas I think everything else that's operating in the space is, is industry, is trade, is commerce. is It's not about the people that built the industry, the people that suffered and sacrificed to give you know, the, the, the corporations the foundation they have to build their ill-gotten industry upon. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're at a crossroads right now, and we've got a choice still. You know, you look, you look at Germany's just gone full recreational; it's sweeping across the world. You know, well, it's so called. Yeah, well, it's but it's, it's legalization. It. You know, yeah, you, you, we've seen it in Canada. Legalization has been taken over by big tobacco, big alcohol, all the big corporations, and you know that's what legalization is. And and, and I'm sure 
that government are poised now to legalize cannabis. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. You know, there's no way around it. But that will just keep it as industry. You know, we need to have access to this plant. We've fought for it. You know, uh, everybody should have access to it. You know, I, there's always place for the industry and the the corporations and the the medical industry. Of course, there is. You know, there's there's going to be all of it. But, you know, unless we get some form of decriminalization or depenalization, we're not going to have grassroots. We're not going to have a right to grow our own or we're going to be limited to like two or three plants or something silly. You know, what if you've got st stage four cancer and you need to make some RSO oil to treat yourself? You're not going to be able to do that with three plants, even well, in a scrog technique. It's not not even as as in-depth as that. It's the first argument. If they're saying you're only allowed to like, so let's say take Germany. Yeah. Germany is a car crash. I know about 4% currently on Spotify of my listeners are German. So how are you doing, guys? Um, I'm sorry that you're about to live through what you're going to live through. I, I think it's been deliberately set to create a hype and a limitation that creates a swelling in the grey market, the black market, whatever you want to term it, however you want to uh, look at it. So that, that, that then enforces a need for more punitive measure for more raids for more police activity as we're seeing in california and oregon and other places around around the world predominantly in the u.s uh generally on the west coast actually i think just because of the weather and the climate and everything else and the legacy of, of growing out there etc um but my, my point is that if you think only got three plants a year which is what the germans are sort of going to be limited to how do they enforce that it's the conceptual idea of how it's it, it, possession on the street is fine. We know that stop and search. We get that. They don't currently have a power to enter our house and check for a limited amount of anything, any product, anything, anywhere. Yet we're going to give them this with cannabis. So then what is it going to be every two months? Knock, 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 knock. Oh, it's your, your arbitrary cannabis check. Oh, 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 that's four plants. All right. Citation. Fine. What happens if you don't pay the fine? Do you know what I mean? Do they then remove your right to grow your three plants? Do they then assume you're always going to grow more plants? So they'll criminalize you. They'll target you. They'll put little drones up with thermal cameras on to check, you know, oh, actually, that's a bit warm. We'll have to take his door off, make sure he hasn't got four plants again. Like Anything that is an, an arbitrary restriction upon the individual is a continuation of prohibition. There are restrictions through commerce and industry that apply to commerce and industry, but not to the individual. Say like this, this alcohol, for example, in this country, in the UK, for all of our famed binge drinking, the law says it is unlawful to serve an intoxicated person more alcohol. You can lose your license as a publican. When was the last time you think about it? Like, obviously, there's the mechanism when the guy is like, can't even stand up and whatever. You're three drinks in. Most people are, drink are having a good old, you know, two hands worth of numbered drinks on an evening. By the time you're two or three, you're intoxicated. The letter of the law says that you can, do you know what I mean? And But that's not enforced because of the cultural norm. We're not going to have that prote that protection within these of cannabis. We can look at it and go, oh, that says this. Yeah, but you can have this. I mean, the biggest fuck you for the German system for me, the biggest fuck you to the culture is their possession limit. 25 grams not 28 our culture yeah. is based on ounces you buy it you buy halves you buy quarters you buy ounces you buy keys like it, it we we buy in weird sort of things we're like the americans about pounds and whatever else and you're 2.2 and a bit of, to, to a key and you're the but generally it's an ounce 
Do you know what I mean? And so then to not have that standard unit of measurement be the possession limit is a, a just a, a misunderstanding of the culture and it's not a representation of it. And then twinned with that is Germany have obviously launched all this harm reduction program. And if you actually look in their second draft of the document, I think released at the early point of this year, uh, back end of last year, there's a point where they say the loud bit, uh, the quiet bit out loud, where they're literally like, we are seeking to create a, a legalized like lawful market to get rid of cannabis, not to, to improve access, but to drive down the people that consume it. It, it it's they're not it's not what it, it's not the liberation the freedom of it what i want is akin to a uh, gay rights movement do you know what i mean i want our pride i want our loud i want us it's nothing about us without us you you, you do not represent us did you grow a plant when it was unlawful did you risk arrest did you ever stand up for the the culture and the plant no then you, you come second the people that did they go first and i'm not saying myself yeah but you know the people generations before me there are people whose names that we don't know whose sacrifices still need to be honored and to create these legal systems in my opinion pisses on that because all it does is it creates bastardized corporations i mean probably get in trouble for this but again look at what they did with mr nice and the brand in there look at what they've done with the marley legacy you know look at what they're doing with, with other influential individuals and names and people that were part of a movement that are now figureheads or being used as figureheads uh, for this this corporate whitewash gentrifying vulture capitalist movement it's not about liberating the consumer it's about creating profit as you say in, in international and interstate uh, conglomerates that are so powerful that they get to dictate what the culture and the market looks like thought about equality and human rights you know like you mentioned you know the the human rights challenges over homosexuality decades ago you know that that's created that shift their community uh, uh you know relatively safe now what about our community you know are we not endocannabinoid systems living in a human body you know mm -hmm. do we not have rights are we not allowed to supplement our own endocannabinoid system to keep health and balance of course we are you know that can't be illegal surely well, we, this is the, the thing of it i mean for all again the Durham's legacy is being betrayed by our new generation of uh, policing representatives. They're pushing to obviously criminalize nitrous oxide. They're really struggling with that because of all of its other legitimate uses and practices and uh, its use in like midwifery and things like that. Um, the issue with, uh, oh my God, my brain, uh, cannabis and is endocannabinoids. But if you're a jogger, you get what they call joggers high. Joggers high is you getting high, you're doing an activity that is promoting the endogenous production of what is effectively the endogenous version of THC. Anandamide, the bliss molecule, is, is blooming within you. The reason you're like, oh, oh, it's, it's part of that. That system is active. It's working with all of these other supplemental systems, and you are getting uh, neurohormones uh, and neurochemicals and things that are really flooding your system, and you're like, wow. That is literally the same as me smoking a joint watching you run past me. We're doing the same thing. But the difference is that I would get like searched for paraphernalia if the cops saw a grinder. He's not going to get searched if they see him in Lycra. And it's it's, just, it's the these hypocrisies of it. I mean, there are dozens of other plants that produce cannabinoids as well. There are 
um, natural synesthetic sort of events that occur with certain things that make THC in, in your own system when you haven't taken THC. You know, there, there's so many different subtle mechanisms that occur within this system that we just do not understand. We are just scratching the fucking surface of it. But as you say, the very fact that this is ubiquitous to well, all mammals, at least that we know of, you know what I mean? If not all uh, vertebrates, invertebrates, vertebrates, what are we? We vertebrates, invertebrates. We invertebrates? <laughs> Whichever way fucking around is my high ass brain can't remember right now. Um, but yeah, that, that has that commonality, then yeah, you're criminalizing a regulatory system. I mean, the analogy that we often go to is uh, that of, um, I think we spoke of this last week, actually, with Dr. Gary Yates, is oranges and scurvy, for example. So imagine at a time when the scurvy was discovered, the system went, oh, medicinal oranges. So what we're going to do now is is medical oranges, and you've got to get a prescription to have your oranges. Um and, and yeah, so rather than identifying it as a glass, you know, this is a vitamin, so it's not the, the thing. There's a mechanism of the thing. What is the thing that's missing? So endocannabinoids. So we're using cannabis as a delivery system for this, as it were, for the medicinal sector. So that almost is eventually going to bypass it, as we see through patented medications and et cetera. So they're going to medicinalize and take that in one direction. And if we don't fight for the right to just enjoy cannabis, eventually they're going to say, here's all your applications. Here's a spray. You can shove it up your ass. You can put it under, under your armpit. You can do this, 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 this. But you can't fucking smoke it. You can't grow it yourself. I, I think that's the inevitable kind of trajectory. And this is, again, why Seed Our Future and other campaigns around the world are so vital to stand not necessarily fully in opposition to legalization, but to push legalization back as being a secondary third step. The first has to be liberate the people. You can't build an industry based on criminalized consumers. Because if you then don't represent us, we'll just fucking do our own thing as we have done for decades. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, any any young mothers uh, who who watch your show, um, you know, um, what are you doing? You know, you're supplying cannabinoids to minors by breastfeeding. You know, that's the first time you got high off cannabinoids, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Breastfeeding milk. Yeah, full of full of. All sorts of cannabis, endocannabinoids. You know what is is that illegal? Mm-hmm. Go and hand yourselves into the police station, ladies. Yeah, again, <laughs> it, it is. It's it's one of those things that to me is equally repugnant that people can be repulsed by somebody smoking a joint in the street and somebody breastfeeding a baby. It's like to me both natural acts. There's no if you've got an opinion, keep it to your fucking self. Like this, they have a right to that. It is a natural act. We are humans. That is a a public space. Do you know what I mean? It's people are fucking people are just weird. And the idea that people get the right to dictate to others behavior is, again, ridiculous. That's the the structure of the law that we have for that, that if somebody then breaks that law, that then if they are evidence caught and evidence to it, they can then stand trial for it. But you are not a judge. You are not a policeman. You are not a, a representative of this system. You are offended by something. And that is ultimately your responsibility you know the, these people didn't sit she didn't feed her kid going this bald guy down the street what's he seeing yeah right. she's not trying to offend you same with the kid smoking a joint it, not all of them are like look at me look at me some people are just medicating some people are just enjoying a quiet joint they're just taking a break from work they're waiting for a bus they're just passing their daily lives not everything is as dramatic as it has to fucking seem you know mm. What's really shocked me, you know, I, I, you know, 
I've been an advocate of cannabis most of my life. And, you know, we've all had stigma and discrimination, you know, throughout our lives because we've been out, you know, enjoying the plant we choose to enjoy. But it's the medical, you know, it, it's those with a prescription and the discrimination and stigma they see in society. And this is something that's important. If, if anyone listening has a prescription, you know, um, this is part of what we do here at Seed Our Future is we help patients with discrimination cases. So, you know, sometimes uh, housing officers will come by and try and get you arrested for antisocial behaviour for taking your prescribed medication in your own home. It's like, well, what? <laughs> you know it's insane uh but there's councils there's uh employers there's uh educational establishments colleges universities not allowing patients to uh, uh use their medication on site um public establishments you know you know that you know i i put a paper together was it last year yeah it was last year uh, on the equality act uh, because, you know, patients were getting refused entry to venues, to festivals, things like that with their medication. So it's to protect them. And I've had a little bit of a backlash lately. Some people saying, you know, some of these owners of, you know, Weatherspoons or wherever it is, they have the right to refuse. Uh, they have their policies on vaping. Now, it's really important for people to understand that vaping a nicotine vape in a public place isn't allowed, but using a you know, a medical device to administer your essential medicine, if you need it, I mean, don't take the piss, you know, if you've, if you've, if you're perfectly able to go outside to the smoking area, um, you know, and you want a vape, I, you know, do that, but have, have, have a chat with the, the establishment's owner and, you know, they, they can't stop you from using your medication. You know, if you had a nut allergy and you needed to use an EpiPen, they can't say, oh no, some people are offended by seeing needles, you know, <laughs> this person's going to die. Well, what about somebody with epilepsy? You know, I've got a friend who their, their local pub will actually fill her vape up for her and administer if she needs it. I mean, that's how it should be. But, you know, I think patients have a responsibility because they have that legal protection they have a responsibility to get out there and to use their medication to talk to people to educate people it's really important you know because that will create normalization it will reduce stigma in society and that's where we really need to be aiming our focus at the minute so you know uh, please do get in contact if you're a patient and you have any discrimination case uh, issues but also if you want to get involved in actually you know um, helping that education helping to get out and get rid of that stigma contact us I'm happy to advise and support so um, uh, that's what we're here for excellent excellent um, so there's one thing to then clarify if we're going to discuss sort of the disability equalities act uh, a concept known as reasonable allowance. Reasonable adjustments. Or reasonable adjustments. Thinking. Is, is yeah, term, so, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can't just go into any shop and just start vaping away without talking to any. Firstly, it's rude. You know, you've got to think about others in, in the community as well. You know, people who might be shocked by the smell or like what, what's going on there. You know, be polite. Print out our document that goes into the Equality Act. Have a, have a nice chat with them and basically say, you know, get them to read it, explain that, you know, to not allow somebody to use their medication is the same as not allowing somebody to come in with their um, dog that assists them with their lack of eyesight or or whatever. You know, it's the same sort of principle. You, you look at outside any weather spoons and it says no dogs except guide dogs. dogs. You know, it's the same with medication, no vaping. 
unless it's prescribed and we should get those signs and outside of every, everywhere the spoons in every pub you know because it it's, it's not the same it's a reasonable adjustment but it doesn't mean you can just go anywhere you have to have the same enjoyment so I, I supported someone recently who went to a boxing match I think it was Manchester Arena and they wouldn't let him vape in the arena they wanted him to go up the steps and he's got he's disabled as well he struggles to walk to go outside the venue uh to use that word. well hang on it's a boxing match if you go out for 10 15 minutes to medicate you could have missed the best bit of the fight you know it's not it's you're not get that's not reasonable that's not a reasonable adjustment but there might be somewhere a bit at the back they're, they're out the way a bit and and that's reasonable. So it, it it has to be a negotiation between the patient and the and the owner of the establishment. Um, yeah. Okay. No, good, good clarification. Just thought again. Uh, obviously, we'll include links to documents below so that people can download them and print them off. Uh, handy bits of kit to have uh, sort of with you. Um, and yeah, I think given kind of the day and age that we're in and the level of lawful protection that prescribed patients have. Um, yeah, just have those conversations. Just, just, just talk to them because most people will make those reasonable adjustments and will seek to um, be able to allow that. Most even just for novelty, do you know? And they'll be, oh, we're the cool kids, you know, we're we're the pub that lets in the 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 patients or whatever, and, and you'll become a hub for that community, and people will flock to that in that area if they know that they can medicate safely, if they know that they can. Um, you know, access the, your services and live their lives normally. I think that is, again, what we're seeking to do here. This is ultimately what the prescription system is about, is to give people access for them to better their lives and better live their lives to the, the, the maximum capability that they're able to do so. One other thing that keeps coming up as well, which relates very much to what we're talking about, is uh, Local councils now, the Environment Agency, seem to be doing some work at the minute on vaporised cannabis, and they're classifying it as noxious fumes that can cause harm to people in their local vicinity. And so you, you might go to a pub and, the, you know, it's a family restaurant or something, and there's kids in their place, and they might be, no, you know, you'll get these kids stoned and they'll be harmed and all this sort of thing. Um, and something I'm going to release soon. There's a, a document I'm working on with the CIC at the minute. But I found a really good research project, which was uh, um, in a hospital setting. They were administering administering um, vaporized cannabis in a hospital setting. So obviously the staff were right next to them administering this over a two and a half hour period. So what they did then was they blood tested the staff to see what level of cannabinoids were in their blood system to kind of see, you know, do they get affected by it? Mm -hmm. There were no detectable cannabinoids whatsoever from the blood tests. So that basically proves that, you know, secondhand vaporizer, uh, if you if you like to call it that, secondhand, secondhand vape does not affect people in the local area, you know, even though they're right next to them. So there isn't a harm there. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. It, it's a closed system. You're going from heat, drawing straight into lungs. It's not like you're seeing when I'm sort of smoking a blunt here and the smoke's willowing off. I mean, obviously, we know that because of the smoke that's coming out of that end, it's converting the THC into THC. Obviously, other sort of breaking down into other, other branch cannabinoids and, and, and components. Um, but that then breathed in will have an effect because there are still active cannabinoids and components within that smoke. Uh, but obviously then the smoke that I breathe in and then breathe out, my body has absorbed the vast majority, if not all of those cannabinoids, same is then true of yeah, vaporization. So the more we can yeah, 
build a body of this evidence and show that that is the case, then it nullifies again these arguments. The only argument then becomes, I don't like the smell, which to me, again, is the same level of discrimination of, you know, the gays are okay, but I just don't like it when they kiss. Do you know what I mean? It's and so what? Fuck you! You're a bigot. Like that's, you, you can have that opinion, but and what? Like I, I don't. Maybe I'm a bit extreme with that. I, I don't know, but it just, I, I don't see I it. Close all the vape shops in the high street because you know you walk past those vape shops and you they get that sweet, sickly, berry flavor and all that sort of thing pluming out of the shop you know I, know. I, don't, I don't like those smells but i don't i don't have a go at them i don't ask them to close down i don't say it's noxious fumes you know i just get on with it it's, it's their it's their choice tolerate it yeah and if someone's in vaping around you sort of thing it, the only way if, if somebody turns and blows that fucking cloud in your face and again it's common common courtesy if you again if you're acting like yeah. an asshole then you are doing a disservice not just to yourself, but everybody you represent. And whether you consume cannabis with a prescription or without, you are an ambassador for the plant. You represent the culture, its history, and its future because people will judge other cannabis consumers based on your behavior, based on your actions. So we have to approach this with a certain sense of maturity, with a certain sense of humility that, yeah, it's fun and we can, at Product Earth or other events or whatever, have our fat bats and worry and celebrate at 420. But then public consumption in other ways can be done. Obviously, I, I engage in it quite often, but it, it's the way in which it's done. If you then sat there, yeah, you go and sit next to a kid, you know, on a park bench or whatever, and you light up a massive joint, you're blowing it in the face, then yeah, you're an asshole. But if you're just passing through a place and subtly kind of consuming whatever you're consuming, then no, I have zero issue with it. Obviously, yeah, if you're outside versus a confined space, then that's a different matter. In the same way that, like, if you went around to one of your mates' houses, you'd ask first time before if you before you know you could smoke there. You know what I mean? It's the same sort of courtesy you'd have. Have that everywhere that you go with this. Yeah, you have a certain entitlement, but that comes, you know, the Spider-Man thing with great response, privilege comes great responsibility or whatever the hell the quote is. And, yeah, I think I myself as a script holder, I am actively willing and in some ways baiting the police in some instances to have these interactions because I, I, I know the law, I know my rights, and I obviously bring it up quite often on, on the podcast, probably not as often as we should, uh, about these points because I think that, yeah, patients, those that can, not those that, you know, are already just getting a bit of their life back from being able to get continual, uh, consistent access to cannabis or whatever else. The people that have then kind of gone through that and are now readjusting to their lives and they've got, got some back. And I see a lot of people now with more, more time, more effort, more energy that could be used as, you know, individual true grassroots activism. It doesn't need to be directly led, know your rights, challenge it in various places and educate the people one-on-one. -on -one. Every time you pull out your grinder and people go, what the fuck's he doing? Do, do you know what I mean? That's a form of activism. So in the way that you handle that, handle it with, with calm, openness. Oh, what I'm actually doing is I am medicating. I have a lawful prescription. Da, 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 da. That's a form of activism of itself. And obviously, if patients, like you say, want to support Seed Our Future, I think it's a great uh, campaign for them to do so because of the, the, the body of work that you're creating as well is open source. And I think that is is highly commendable in a time of intellectual property patents and fucking all the rest of it at the minute in the cannabis space to be able to actually give people the resources <clears throat> and, and confidence to be able to defend themselves through litigate in person in court it's it's decentralized 
activism in a way you know you've you've created something from a central point and, and to diffuse it amongst the people and then still act as a central resource to be able to advise those people again is is highly commendable thank you yeah that's what we're about yeah yeah i mean we we don't do it for money or for ego we do it to help you know help activism help people education is key you know get it out there keep moving it and we will get there I'm pretty sure there'll be some change in the next 12 months. Uh, I think... At least I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't think we're going to see anything until we see the back of the next general election. And I think things are going to... That, that's, that's an opportunity in itself, isn't it? I think we should be pushing for some sort of activism leading up to the general uh, election one... and maybe some uh, strategic uh, voting. 100%, 100%. I think we need to... Figure out what's happening with the smaller parties, to be honest with you, uh, Greens, Lib Dems, etc. Because the whips of the two main parties, they've just rained every fucker in. I mean, obviously, we were due to debate a couple of MPs at Product Earth, uh, but not a couple of weeks ago. They pulled out, obviously, with about 48 hours to go, kind of an inevitability. But they, they, they don't want to have these conversations. They don't want to muddy the waters. They're already going to be st stuck having what is probably going to be one of the most vicious elections we've had in a long time. If you look at the preamble of what's coming out of the Sunak camp um, and, the, and the Tories in, in local areas and the way they're targeting it is all about Starmer being soft on criminals and da-da-da-da-da. But I'm not a Starmer supporter. That's not what I'm saying here, but in terms of what they're actually going to bicker about and make the election about is not going to be what we fucking need to talk about. Whereas I think it's something I wanted to discuss. We obviously, it's something that we're going to uh, we'll look to to the future. If we need an economist at Seed Our Future, so if we have an economist out there who's 420 friendly, someone that can correlate a load of data set around what decriminalization would actually do in terms of its its net gain and benefit we need to be able to counter the legalization narrative and the naysayers with well actually here's the net savings of year one i mean we already know for example a grower put away for over a year it costs a hundred grand for that first year and then what is it 60 grand for every year after to lock that person away so it's it's an insanity so we just need somebody if there's someone out there by all means reach out to myself or reach out to guy directly or see the future um because, yeah, I think that's, that's where we, we can get into this and that's where we can give the smaller parties a bit more ammo. We know the Greens have supported decriminalisation for a while but have never really codified what that means. They never took a stance on de jure, de facto, or the, the separate systems by which that could be enacted. The Lib Dems have obviously been on the decriminalisation hype for quite a while. They're, well, uh, colloquially obviously known in this country as the Limp Dems, Um but leading into what is potentially a hung parliament, uh, not in the fun way, the other way, uh, <laughs> um, they'll become an important linchpin within this. Obviously, with the Northern Irish issue with the lack of government there means the Tories can't run to the DUP to prop up a government this time. A lot of issues north of the border, uh, to, a lot of love to my Scots up there. Um, yeah, because of the national thing, and I support independence 100 fucking percent, it's going to muddy the waters as all of this will. So I think, yeah, if we can win over some of the smaller parties to get them to understand and have more than just a soundbite of, you know, decriminalise drugs and that middle-class kind of liberal stance, understand what that really means and, and to support the creation of an industry by the people for the people. 
absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look, look at the Scottish government just not long ago, called for decriminalisation of all drugs. The UN, uh, about a week before, called for decriminalisation. Uh, you know, there was this hidden ACMD report from 2016 that's still hidden that called for decriminalisation of cannabis and maybe some other substances. Uh, you know, there's a lot of push for it, but it's the, the Tories are just digging their heels in and wanting votes rather than what's right for the people. You know? well, they're, they're trying to create uh, private medicinal access on prescription to every drug. So if you actually look into some of this stuff, uh, cocaine is a really interesting one. <laughs> we are the world's largest importer of medicinal cocaine. <laughs> Keys are the stuff. Keys are the stuff. But then when you look at our imports and whatever else happens to it, numbers don't make fucking sense. But there's been plenty of research within cocaine for a while. And if you look at it, it's one of those that's, wait a minute, why is this not Schedule 1? And it's because it has legitimate therapeutic uh, value and benefit. And um, there's a new product that was brought to market by Johnson & Johnson, as in no more tears, Johnson & Johnson, is a cocaine nasal spray um, called Numbrino, which I think is fucking <laughs> Are you making this up? I'm not, Numbrino. It's, it gets, gets even better. There's another company. I can't remember the name. Another pharmaceutical company. They've made a ketamine nasal spray for short burst use to treat anxiety, according to their patent. And they've called it... What's that called? See you later. (laughs) Esketamine. Esketamine. Esketamine and Numbrino. So basically, honestly, yeah, you then look at psilocybin. Look at this fucking thing. Yeah, I'll get myself in trouble. Why not again? Uh, The campaign in the UK to reschedule uh, psilocybin. That is not of the people by the people. That is corporate hegemony. That is big, powerful pharmaceutical lobby money. Um, because all their patents are in novel uh, synthetic versions of psilocin, which is what we convert psilocybin into when we eat it. Or if you lemon tech it, you, you shortcut that so you don't get like the, the, the rotten good. There's an argument there that you shorten the high and various other things, but I suppose it's more of a philosophical than scientific debate. <laughs> Um, but the point is that they're, they're creating the, these patents around all of these things. And again, it's the same astroturfing of the grassroots movements. They're going to the people that understand the power of mushrooms, of going and camping in Wales or Scotland or whatever, and picking the mushrooms, brewing your own tea, sleeping on the mountain or the hillside and the whole thing of it. And they're gaslighting us effectively. And go, oh, they're going to support us. They're going to make a schedule two. They're going to do this and that. Like, no, schedule two means that they can do more research. They can create patented drugs. And it means that they don't have to move it. Uh, well, actually, what they'll do is they'll create a schedule two under misuse of drugs regulations 2001. So it'll stay schedule one when picked wildly by you under the 1971 Misuse of Drugs Act. So that's what they're trying to do. That's the whole point of the 2001 regulations was created to allegedly, huge allegedly, retrospectively give GW a license to operate. Allegedly. Two more allegedly. 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 <laughs> Just protecting yourself there. Um, but yeah, so I think that's where they're going with this. So they're dragging their heels long enough that they can force everything in there. So, I mean, we've already known for a long time about the research they've been doing on DMT, LSD, uh, for alcoholism, things like this, MDMA as well. And there is like a hundred and, oh, I'm trying to hear Callie Seaman talk, tell me what it is. It's 140 something formulations of MDMA as in potential 
ways to produce end product of MDMA. So not all of them patented. Not all of them are criminalized necessarily in terms of the process. So again, there's another mechanism there where, where these companies can create this. And I think once they've got one of everything, that's when they'll look at the, oh, what we'll do is we, we'll decriminalize, but it won't be. It'll be depenalized. So instead of it being unlawful, it'll be a civil offense. So the same as in, say, Spain. So Spain have decriminalized cannabis per se in a de facto way, not de yeah, in a de facto ways, and the authorities have kind of gone, nah, um, there's the interpretation of a document rather than the signing of a legislation. And so inside the clubs, you have that kind of discretion in your own home. But on the street, it's a 600 euro fine if you caught with weed. So, but they say, nah, that's, decrim that's decriminalized. A fine is not a criminal thing. It's a civil thing. Well, then if, if, the, if the result of something is only a fine, it's a tax. Yeah. And it's classist. So these are the mechanisms it looks like they're trying to put into place, it would seem. In the same way that if you're, you've got enough money and you go around in the States or whatever in a lawful state, you just add $250 to your bill and you smoke in your room. Do, do you know what I mean? So then it's, but if you can't afford the 250, you've got nowhere to lawfully smoke. So it's these, these mechanisms that legalization and these kind of monopolies want to put in place as restrictions. So we have to pay for the privilege at every point. It's like the uh, Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 in the States. Mm -hmm. That was a tax, $100, $100 tax on an ounce of cannabis. And it, that basically dismantled the hemp industry, uh, essentially made uh, cannabis possession illegal, um, you know, uh, and it, it was a tax. But it was actually, was it 1956? Uh, it was actually found ultra buyers, found illegal. And yeah, it was changed. That was Tim. Timothy Leary, wasn't it? Timothy Leary, yeah. Timothy he, he Leary was, and his, uh, and his two he joints. He was looking at 30 years in prison and he won his case and found mm. it ultra virus. So it's happened before. Mm. It can happen again. Exactly. Obviously, America is based on proto-British law, same way the, the Canada is. Uh, obviously, their constitution and everything else means there are certain protections that we are not afforded, obviously, in the UK and civil actions that can be undertaken that we are obviously not afforded in the UK because we live under the shadow of a crown of a very evil family, but la la la. Um, <laughs> so, okay. These patient protection documents, um, what is currently available? What can I include in the links below so that people um, can, yeah, get them sort of downloaded, get, get their, get their read on so they can learn about what their statutory rights are and how to sort of defend themselves. Yeah. Okay. So at the minute, the main one available on the website is the Equality and Diversity one, uh, medical cannabis use. Um, it's easy to find if you can put a link to that one. That's the one basically that you should print out and take with you. And if you want to go to a certain venue, you can show that to the staff and they should let you, um, uh, should give you some sort of reasonable adjustment. Um, now, I have been working with the CIC recently, uh, putting document, documents together. There was a, a Road um, Traffic Act one published a couple of months ago. There's about to be one that's just been accepted by the CIC Executive Council on um, employment discrimination, because some people, believe it or not, have actually lost their jobs because of their uh, prescription prescription medication which is outrageous ooh, ooh. Uh, and we're also currently working on one for housing associations as well mm. sorry you put your hand up so, yeah just something got me excited there for anybody that's in that situation in 2020 the employment tribunals set an incredible precedent for internal uh stance on this 
Um, mm. So basically a dude who didn't have a prescription was consuming cannabis for a long-term back injury um, was randomly piss tested at work. He worked in a recycling plant as a driver's mate. So he didn't touch any heavy machinery, any of this shit boss immediately fired him on the spot. The guy took him to a tribe, uh, an employment tribunal. The judge at the employment tribunal went, oh, you, you are 100% right. Unfair dismissal because the employer didn't ask why he was using cannabis. If he had a legitimate reason for it, what his benefit was. Um, and that that action was discriminatory based on a human rights argument. And um, basically, I, I don't know what, but three months later, because they obviously appealed that and then it was held up and the guy was basically the employer was ordered to give him his job back give him 30 grand in restitution and make reasonable <laughs> allowances for him to continue to have his job and he had no yeah. prescription so the the yeah. tribunal systems like i said in terms of they don't they're not constrained to the other laws or whatever else they are interpreting employment and everything else it's a different whole kettle of fish um yeah. but yeah just it made me just think of that anecdote and and yeah, yeah this, this it was a really interesting case that um yeah i mean they did try to do him for uh being unsafe as well but he didn't actually drive the truck um, was, he was, was just a passenger yeah, yeah. so there wasn't a driving issue either even though he would have been probably fine anyway um mm. yeah so so although those documents haven't actually been released yet because it takes a little bit a bit of time with the bureaucracy of the cic to actually get it all out and prettied up and published uh but please you know if you do have a situation with employers or with housing or council or anything like that get in touch with me and i'm happy to support you anyway um uh, there is also uh, we're putting together an evidence pack uh, which should be distributed throughout all the clinics to every patient in the country um so that will have like a patient's rights and responsibilities uh including driving and also you know if, if you go to an establishment all that sort of thing uh and it will have a notice for police officers in case they stop you for possession or for driving um and it will also uh have a sheet from your uh, prescriber basically a letter from your prescriber saying what the recommendations have been and also uh, a copy of your most recent prescription so that's that will be available hopefully soon as a pdf for every patient so you can print that out keep it with you keep it in your car and that should mitigate a lot of the the harms but but again you know we're, we're here all the time you know um if you get any problems any sort of discrimination any quite kind of legal actions even if you don't have a prescription contact us and if we can help you we will Awesome. Awesome. Um, I think it's something we've reiterated on most of these podcasts that we've recorded together, but for new listeners or just to remind people, um, let's go over drive, like you pulled over with the script. So if you pulled over with the script and the officer says that he doesn't believe that's a thing, for example, or he says that that's not real or he's discounting your defense, you do not have to submit to a swab or the blood test they can pressure you they can say anything as they will and they're entitled to unfortunately but you have that statutory defense as long as you were within the letter of your prescription and what i mean by that is your 10 gram tub didn't have 11 grams in for example or you weren't smoking a fatty or etc cetera, etc cetera. There's, there's other aggravating circumstances that are problematic but if you are within the letter of that prescription you do not have to submit to um yeah to that standard procedure 
Yeah, you, you. I mean, we are actually challenging that at the minute in the courts. Uh, so if you refuse a blood test, you'll get arrested for what's called a Section 7 offence, which is refusing an analysis uh, for um, a, a blood sample for analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've got a reasonable excuse to refuse, which you have if you're legally prescribed it, um, then you have a, a defence in law. So, you know, it, it's, it's up to the individual, really. You know, if you want to be uh, basically... You know, uh, it's basically assault, common assault, putting a needle into your arm and drawing blood. Um, you know, if you consent to it, you know, you still got a medical statutory defence either way. Uh, but yeah, contact us. We can help you with it. We're, we're well, well tuned now on this legislation. So, you know, we've got a very good success rate. As long as, like like Simba said, if you're following your practitioner's guidance, basically, if you're not impaired, uh, then, then you, you'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the police have a duty to carry out their due diligence. If they don't believe that your prescription or oh, there's no such thing as a legal prescription, then tell them. Google it. It will take you two minutes. And if, if they don't and they take you to the police station, the, the custody sergeant on the desk, he's the big boss. He has to uh, verify your um, arrest and detention so you show that to him you get him to look at it you know make a bit of a fight about it because they they have to do their job you know mm-hmm. they, they can't just ignore it and you know if you if you're legally prescribed you have that legal protection and they should adhere to that mm-hmm. um you can always if it's daytime you can always try and get get a hold of me or get a hold of your clinic the clinic's probably the best you know if, if the clinic will actually talk to them on the phone whatever you do don't pass them a can card because that does con- cause confusion i had one lad who passed his can card and the, the this desk sergeant rang the number on the back like the legal number and the, unfortunately, he was told that it didn't provide any legal defence, which is true. The can card doesn't. But they should have said if he's got a prescription, he does have a legal defence. So that actually ended up getting him locked in a cell for several hours. So, yeah, just if, you, if you've got a prescription, that's your legal mm-hmm. legal document, you know, and then and, and they have to abide by that. Nice, nice. Uh, the, the document will be coming out soon as well, and that will give you all the information. So when you when you do get that, please read through it, learn the law, learn what your rights are and your responsibilities, and just be a responsible um, patient. You know, hundred percent, hundred percent, and just don't be belligerent, don't swear at them, don't escalate the situation, yeah, don't be polite, don't, don't put, even put a finger on them because that constitutes assault and. Yeah, some cops can be jobs worth and they know how to escalate a situation so just remain calm reiterate the your rights uh if they are refusing to accept it as guy said request of them that either you can google it and show them or that they can look and literally one of the first results well once you get past all the adverts for the clinics will basically be the dot gov legislation site showing the act of parliament which means if they're not fully uh, unintelligent individuals, that's a very politically correct way of saying it, um, then they they will instantly know that, oh, crap, I'm wrong here. I need to ring somebody. And they should then ring into the desk sergeant who is basically the duty of care for the units that are out on uh, patrol um, during that shift to, yeah, to, to check and verify this. And anything after that, there is obviously grounds for, for false detainment which I think is something that excites 
a lot of people because it's the idea of, well, yeah, you're right. I've be, I deserve something back from this. And there is a financial mechanism in place for the police to, you know, try to make whole the time that they have taken from you. And I think that's a mechanism we need to seek to exploit because they will listen to it when they start to lose money. It's all well and good when they start to lose face. They're cops. They're used to looking like idiots. You know, it's all well and good when they're, they're pissing around time and they're having to release people and they're getting, you know, verbal warnings and told off, for, you know, filling the cells with patients. But when the actual unit starts to see, you know, we lost like 10 grand to forced detainment this month, we have to do something. That's that's where we can really start to to see difference. Um, is that something that CNR Future are sort of looking at or involved with in any way? Yeah, we, we are actually. We, we've um, helped a, a number of patients with um, uh, police complaints procedures, which will hopefully soon lead to uh, out-of-court settlements. So you don't actually have to go to a court uh, once they realise they are in the wrong. One thing I didn't forget to mention on the driving is... Um, when the police take you to the intox room, which is the place where they draw blood, they fill in a form. It's called an MGDD form. And there's questions 14 and 15. You probably won't remember this on the on the form. It's got their uh, PACE guidance notes on it. And it mm. specifically says that if they're prescribed a controlled substance and they claim that they have a statutory medical defense to exceed the limit, which you do if you've got a prescription, then they have to follow the procedures and it basically tells them to go for a section four offense and not pursue a section five offense. So you've got proof there in their own notes that they're not following procedure, which means it's an unlawful arrest and a false de detainment. So, yeah, but you, you can, I mean, you can take it to a civil court and get money out of them, but you know, um, it's definitely worth uh, pursuing that and we can assist with that, but we, <laughs> we are limited on, time and resources as a, a small organization with virtually no money so um you know there's only i've got about 25 to 30 cases i'm working on at the minute um so obviously if you can do that side of it yourself um or get somebody to help you with that that's great but um if, if not I, we will help excellent excellent uh yeah brilliant again i just just wanted to kind of add that out there for people that then felt wronged and wanted to know what they could potentially do uh, to, to write it. And I suppose if anybody does successfully use the documentation provided by CDAR Future kindly for free, if they wanted to, uh, how could they support CDAR Future? Where could they donate if they happen to have, you know, heard one of these podcasts, for example, or they had some help from yourself? What could they do if they wanted to donate towards the campaign or support the work of CDAR Future? If you go to our website, seedoffuture.co.uk, go to the homepage, there's a, a there's a donate button right on the front page. Just scroll down a little bit. And uh, yeah, all donations are greatly received. You know, we uh, we don't charge people for the services we do. Uh, so, you know, um, you, you're saving thousands of pounds on legal costs by not getting a solicitor who doesn't understand the law most of the time. Um, and, and we have a good sex success rate. But yeah, we we did, we don't have really um, any funds. So, yeah, if you can donate and you love what we do, uh, please do. It would be greatly appreciated. Awesome sauce. Awesome. Uh well, I suppose there's a question of going back into politics for people that uh, don't really like it when we talk politics on this podcast. Uh, but my question here is, do you think that any MPs will or would break the whip to support decrim? Do you think, like, I'm not talking I about think... leading up to the election, but ever, do you think in individually any MPs of, you know, notoriety, so in the cabinet or in the shadow cabinet or I suppose even backbench MPs, you know? 
I mean, there, there are, you know, you've got the APPG on drug reform. You've got people like uh, Chris, Crispin Blunt and, uh, you know, the, the MP from Manchester. I can't remember Jeff, his name Jeff, off the top of my head. Andy, uh, Jeff, Jeff. You got Jeff Smith. Yeah. Uh, yeah Jeff for, Smith. For, for yeah, I know they're not really, they're more about legalisation rather than decriminalisation. But if they're your MP and you send them the human rights challenge, uh, they'll look at it, they'll read it. And if they agree with it, which they can't really not, then that might just give them a few more tools to their belt to push the ACMD and the uh, the Secretary of State a little bit more, you know? Um, you know, you are going to get replies that are going to be standardised Home Office replies, but, you know, they obviously haven't read the report then, which means they're breaching their Nolan principles that they swear an oath to. You know, like, they, they have to at least look at it and read it, and, you know, it's, it, it is, it's indisputable, the evidence. You know, mm -hmm. so you, all we need is a handful of those MPs to challenge it and actually push on the ACMD. You know, we can do it, but yeah, I need you. We, we need unity. We need all the people who love the plant to come together and fight for it, especially those with a legal prescription. 100 percent, 100 percent. I mean, the like you said, the lawful protections that are provided by a prescription. Um, yeah. Again, maybe not necessarily advice here, folks, but it's it's quite a uh, loosely regulated system full of loopholes. So it is quite easy for some individuals to, within a few months, become cannabis patients, even if you have nothing previous on your record. So I'm not at this point going to offer any advice on that because that would definitely constitute something that I would probably get in trouble for. Um, but I'm not necessarily saying the prescription system is where it's at. But if you drive, if you housing other issues, that little bit of lawful protection will allow you to live your life a little bit more comfortably. Yes, you are being taxed for it because you are having to pay the system for the privilege and pleasure. But in terms of being able to reduce that anxiety and that paranoia a bit, it, it does help. It does help. And I think the more people that can help exploit that system, which they openly admit people are, the more it's going to create that it's going to tear down that binary that duality that exists in people's mind of going oh those ones over there are safe and they're fine and they're good people but those ones over there they're dirty druggies and they're dangerous you know what i mean it's the more we can have people just openly consuming cannabis and openly talking about it and not running away from it not shying away and hiding in the shadows the more they can see there's nothing criminal demonic dangerous about us we're just people that like cannabis love i think not like yeah love the plant <laughs> yeah entirely love every aspect every aspect <laughs> hmm. that's yeah. why we fight for it day in day in day out you know indeed indeed uh so yeah i think in terms of politicians as we're saying if people just want to support the campaign just uh, politicians of all ilks from all regions and all backgrounds i think the more we can put it in front of we only need as you say a, a couple of strong allies um to just understand the argument, to really understand it, to not hear us and go, oh, legalization. Yeah, let's give all these giant corporations this money and influence and and uh, option to build a system that profits them, you know, while imprisoning us. So I think, yeah, we, we have to continue to disseminate this amongst ourselves. This has to be a decentralized kind of movement for all, obviously, there's yourself and that at the center of it, in a sense. Um It's creating that groundswell. It is creating that groundswell. I think now more than ever, there is an appetite amongst the populace for an alternative to just giving the money men more fucking money people want an, a freedom an option to live to overgrow 
the 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 austerity that they've lived now decades under you know to to grow their way out of poverty to set up and explore what they can bring to the plant and the plant can bring to them and how it can better their lives that is a right that i will fight and die for ultimately i think it's it's the only thing that i can think that's worth fighting for right now yeah mm-hmm. absolutely yeah we'll keep fighting until we win and that's it but yeah please join us get involved yeah man yeah man well I'll include uh, all links in that below uh, let's do a couple of daft questions to round off. Uh, although this isn't a daft question, I took on my last question. It's the first time I've I've managed to ask every question. I think in a podcast with yourself. Um, what can we do to better educate the public about the dangers of legalization? The dangers of legalization. Ooh, I think uh, get everybody to watch the new Netflix documentary "Painkiller" about OxyContin in the states because that's a really good analogy i watched it just the other night uh and yeah it it shows how corrupt the system is the pharmaceutical system how it's all about money and you know get get them all hooked and then we've got all those customers you know and you see how disgusting the pharmaceutical industry is and you know all of these controlled substances whether they're benzodiazepines or tranquilizers or z drugs you know 25 percent of the population are on some of these drugs like opioids and all sorts like really dangerous stuff you know cannabis the the harms are negligible you know and you know where the criminals yeah watch that documentary that would be my advice nice nice yeah there's a, a one with michael keaton as well like a dramatization one they did uh michael keaton the McDonald's the guy, one. Guy play, he played my no he uh, it is that guy though the fucking we played Batman back in the eighties yeah. and yeah, yeah. whenever it was yeah, yeah, yeah. um the, no there was it was on one of the obscure stream services in America a couple of years ago and it's like a dramatization of like a small town Virginia doctor and, and based on obviously quite a lot of true events and it just again it showed the same thing that escalation of how corrupt the system was in the Sackler family and kind of um mm. what they did and how they hid the evidence and manipulated the, the wording mm. and the and the data and the studies and yeah that's, that's very much a, a good analogy for what we are seeing in cannabis we discussed this last week with dr gary yates as, as an academic himself someone that's cited in quite a lot of research papers and of his distrust of this system of peer reviews and of yeah there are some big problems and big questions being asked at like institutions like stanford and mit and other places like that in the states where people are looking at stuff and going well this doesn't make a fucking lick of sense but this giant corporation gets to make all this money at the end how how did they get through this to this and it's like oh no wait they paid here to make this justify this and we're seeing that massively in the lack of scientific literacy literacy within um the well medicinal cannabis industrial complex you know it's it's yeah it, it's a an interesting time to be involved in all of this because the science isn't settled do you know what i mean the guys with the phds are, are well the guys that actually really are smart and have the phds are like no we don't know shit do you know what i mean there's a lot of con men no no it's as simple as that abc you know xyz da, da, da. it's it's not. There is far more going on with the science of this plant. There is far more going on with the history of the culture um, and of, of the, the ongoing and historic war. And I think that needs to be addressed alongside this. You can't just whitewash over and go, oh, you're right, you're right. We'll open these dispensaries now and we'll do this and we'll do... No, we have to address that historic wrongs. And I think that's why 
uh, seeing our future is so vital because you're calling these things out where you see them, whether it's in housing, whether it's in you know access to services, uh, to driving, um, not just for patients, but you know medicinal consumers, you know all consumers. It's it's all extrapolable to challenge that law to, yeah, demand our human rights, the rights that we've always been entitled to, that we have had suppressed for for decades now. I think that is the fight. That is the movement. Whereas I think legalization is this, this corporate whitewashing, this gentrification, this erasure of the culture of the fight. And yeah, they may have social equity, this and a token person here and this there and whatever else. But why should one rise when that is predicated on the, the fallen bodies of everybody else? It's that's hypocrisy, and that it's is sticking sticking to the facts. We've been lied to for a century. All the evidence is there. It's all open source. We've been lied to. We've you know, it, it, people have been criminalized. People have been locked up for nothing. It mm-hmm. it can't continue. We can't allow this corruption, this harm to continue by our government who is supposed to be protecting us. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's civil rights, it's human rights, it's it's every part of our instinct, our our biology, you know. We've got a, you know, it, we're fighting for our lives in mm-hmm. some aspects, you know. That, that's how important it is. We just need the community to all stand together, just like other communities like the, uh, have done in the past for civil rights movements. You know, if we all just stand up and fight for this plant, we can have it. It's it's mm. it's, it's it's not far away. Yeah, but I think we, we need that unity. Mm. So I think I guess the answer to that sort of question is is education. It's even though the that was in the question of how to better educate them, but it is just. It's challenging, I guess. Throw the, the education of... back at them again and again and again until yeah. they fucking listen. Which I think it's just. Oh, I swore on the Simper show. That's my Ooh. first time, I think. Hey. <laughs> only, t- only took five episodes. We got you there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's what we found on on the stage of Product Earth, where we we just challenged. We kept challenging people. Go oh, with this, that, the other, and it's like, well, just challenge it. Just well, what do you mean by that? Are you saying X, Y, Z, or are you saying that we won't get A, B, C? And just challenge their position for them to have to defend it. And once you get two or three layers deep, they've got nothing. They've literally just got their sound bites, and they've they've used this as padding to hide their greed. Frankly, that's all they're doing is they're profiteering from the perpetuation of prohibition. They're not here, pardon, uh, like like we are seeking to end it, to actually end the war. I don't know what the industry looks like after the war ends. That's not my fight. My fight is to end the war so that we're not having issues. I mean, look at Oregon. I don't know where the bill is. Last time I checked on it, I think it was like February. Um, it was one of the proposed bills uh, in, in Oregon, which was basically they were saying 10 years for over 100 plants. If you are caught unlawfully growing 100 plants, you get 10 years in prison. Do you know I mean, California, if you look at the amount of raids and everything that's going on there, the, the heightened level of criminality, legalization isn't solving these problems look what's happening with new york and the judges and all of the crap that's it's there for all i really appreciate ny's public consumption i think that's the closest we've got to freedom thus far in in that aspect alone uh but yeah we have to have this this conversation of just liberating the culture accepting us back into society in the same which way we went from vilifying the lgbtq plus community to then welcoming them back into society we made reasonable adjustments and went no you're welcome you're fit we didn't then go no you can you're welcome back but you have to now be the same as everything else that's that's not representation 
we deserve representation with the largest unrepresented group in not just the UK, but I would say in most countries are cannabis consumers. We're a large chunk of populations around the world and nobody really speaks for us. We have this now neo-legalization movement washing across the world of venture capital seeking to capture markets and, and co-opt culture for their own fucking commercial gain. We're not seeing people going, if it's wrong in one place, it's wrong in every place. It, it's as simple. It's as simple as that. And if it's right for that man to make his money and grow cannabis, it's right for that man to grow cannabis and make his money. The the bureaucracy and the bullshit in the middle is irrelevant. The the right has to be ubiquitously applied, and that is what I think is the issue here, and why we're seeing, especially the Tories in the UK hold off so long is they're wanting to get us, us to a point of such desperation that we will bite their hand off at the first bit of legislation that they title led legalization and it won't be until we're months in and we're going wait a minute why am i not allowed to open a club wait a minute why is my coffee shop getting raided wait a minute why am i in prison wait, what, what what we won't understand what has happened do you know what i mean and they create the license and they go oh it's gonna be two million for your license oh then you've got special tax on top then you've got you know a special securities Oh, you've actually got to have this uh, secure safe installed to store your product. That's going to be 500,000. Uh, you've then got to have this maintained by a company. That's going to be 10,000 a month. And they're going to, and they just chuck all, and you'll never get an, a chance. We'll never get a fucking opportunity. For, for me, it's it's localism, not globalism. We're seeing the end of, of the current iteration of neoliberal neo capitalism. The globalization isn't working. The smart countries, if you really look at what they're doing, they're investing back at home. Or they're doing what like China are doing and they're just basically creating uh, future money back in Africa. They've paid for the infrastructure knowing that that's going to rise with the population, increase over a billion people in the next like 50 years. That's going to start to pay dividends. They're making some wise investments and then building the resource up at fucking home. That's what, again, the UK, other countries should should be looking at. For all, yeah, we have trading blocks and everything else and Europe's going to do pretty much all right because of its history and everything else. Little old England out here we need to be looking at this as a way to actually change the fucking world. You know, we invaded the world with cannabis, our rigs and our sails, you know, the oils in our lamps and everything else was cannabis. You know, you want to call it old fucking hemp or whatever, you know, which is literally the word for cannabis. Um, but we, we, we colonized the world. We committed atrocities. You know, we enslaved the world. We kickstarted the slave trade effectively. <clears throat> International slave trade, I'll clarify there, because obviously we weren't the first to commit to slavery um important definite uh, distinction there i suppose uh well, well it is an important distinction but my point being is that we could uh, uh, like start to repair that damage through cannabis we have got an unbelievable amount of, of arable land in this country that we could grow on that if we just allowed it to be cannabis we could then research and develop our way out of this there is going to be a cannabis arms race for technology once we get past the drug and oh i, I don't i don't like the smell and you understand the true applications of this plant in terms of it's the other resources in it, like the, 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 like the cellulose level, the fiber, the, the blast material and what that can be produced into in terms of batteries, in terms of like carbon fiber materials, in terms of housing, um, you know, as, as a renutrifying soils, detoxifying soils, you know, dealing with fucking desertification, deforestation, all these other things as, as, a, as a natural technology that's going to change the world. That's going to shake up so many industries like the global cotton trade, fucking petroleum trade, um, fucking plastics, you know, food and all sorts is going to be 
disrupted because of the introduction of this ultimate renewable resource. And if we can win it for us, we can participate in that and start to address this in inequity of, of, of wealth within our society, because we could literally grow our way out of poverty. One seed is, is could lead you to a, be a billionaire. It's that's the power of this fucking thing. And a plant makes ten, like 10,000 of them. And then you throw clones and everything. Like it's an infinite resource. The limitations are applied to us. And I think this is why we need to win the drug argument, almost in the philosophical sense of humanity. We need more people consuming cannabis to be consciously aware of why we need cannabis. Does that, does that make sense? Like beyond obviously going, I like it as a drug, like to understand where you're saying this is the best natural carbon sequestering technology on the planet and it does it in 60 days. You're saying that from that material, I can build the entirety of my house and it'd be carbon negative. You're telling me I can turn that into a power source. You know, I mean, if you use cannabis derived graphene and run salt water over it, generates electricity. That's the future of desalinization. Fuck the water wars and all of that shit. We can fix that problem. All this carbon and all the, the ULEs and all these other restrictive mechanisms that are coming to sequester carbon, or to limit carbon, rather. We could just be sequestering it with fucking cannabis. There's so many other applications of this thing that they will never allow us to access if it ends up purely in their hands. They will mothball it like the fucking hydrogen cars or the water-powered car. Do you know what I mean? And all these are the technologies that we've we've known about, or exactly what happened. They have done, you know, the, the graphene technology that's already been mothballed. The like the biofuels, the aviation fuel that's been mothballed. It they that that's why germinating that little seed is illegal and has been for the last century because they don't want it because there's too many vested interests in other technologies. You know, there isn't a government anymore. It's corporate. It's corporate monopolies globally. You know, they, they run the world. They run our government. You know, these politicians, we just need to get them back on side. Like we need to share the truth with them and end the stigma. And, you know, the truth will prevail. You know, they, they can't hide from it. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's we find who we can within it. And then we've got five years after the next election cycle to build an army of future MPs. We we have to now take on the House itself. There are 650 seats in this country. Obviously, there's the Lords and everything else and whatever, but there's enough constituent seats and enough spaces that if we can get one or two of us over the next five, ten years into Parliament, because this is how long we have to look at this, guys. This isn't a year this, a five-year this. That's their legalization plan. But we will not be freed by that. A lot of people will be placated for several months and think, oh, I can walk down the street with my ounce. But then when we're inundated with calls with people getting caught with 30 grams and going to fucking prison, then they'll realize when people are getting arbitrary knocks on their door from police going, oh, we've heard you're growing cannabis. We just want to check it's the right genetics, like they're seeking to do in Germany. It, it there's there's too many aspects of this that are repugnant and repulsive to me. That almost regardless of legalization, we're gonna have to fight, and I can see that long fight, and I'm happy to 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 take that long fight. I mean, fuck, I might be one of those people that does that thing in five fucking years. I can I can speak. I don't think I'm particularly the best educated uh, in terms of whatever else uh, procedures, but you learn this shit on the fly, don't you? My um, point I'm. Uh, veering off course here anyway my point being that if we can infiltrate that that system if we can get in there we can understand 
how it works. We can understand how to grease the wheels, who's really in charge, not the people that come through it in, in, in and out of it, but the people that pay for all of it. And I'm not talking about the taxpayers, you know what I mean? If we can figure out those kind of circles, then we've got a chance to win these kind of arguments. And again, like I said, it's the economics that will win it for us. They don't give a flying fuck about you being scared of the sirens or the anxiety and the PTSD that the war has caused you and continues to cause you. They do give a fuck when you can say, you can say to your constituents, you can save 10 million pounds a year if we just decriminalize cannabis. Oh, and then what we've discovered actually, if we put in a discretionary local tax, we could generate da da da, we could da da da. That's the language we need to speak speak to them in is is fucking finance. Yeah. Yes, I know. I think we need to uh, challenge them with uh, legal action as well. You know, they have the oh, known principles. They have to do their job. If we send them indisputable evidence, fully researched, and they come back with some crappy home office response, then they're not doing their job. That's why it's important that people contact us with the responses, because then we'll challenge that response. And they'll give us another response. We'll challenge that until they get it. And if they don't, then, you know, then we have half backlash. We have public calls for, uh, you know, them to leave as a parliamentarian. Yeah, we, we could all... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sick, of, sick of trying to, like, coerce them and uh, convince them to be on our side. But we're, we're past talking nicely like that. You know, this this is fucking war, as they claimed. Well, exactly that. It's just... Swore again. See, I'm getting all bloody emotional. Hey, doing good, doing good. <laughs> Guy Coxel, uncut. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree entirely. It's this; it's a multi-pronged approach. Um, yeah. those, those that have the ability to articulate and work within that space do what they do. Those in that space, that space, etc. And I think that's where we we need to really understand how diverse and intersectional, if all that's a loaded term these days, this fight really is. And actually, if we understand that and we recognize each other, there are people whose talents and skills could move the movement forward massively in their own areas and i think it's needing that that coordination and that uh that kind of leadership and again i go back to i see seed our future as being the the vessel for that sort of moving forward i think the fact that we are showing that we are correct the courts accept the arguments they understand that these are case whether we win them or not is a separate thing the fact that we are showing that we have an ability to defend people, to give people the tools to defend themselves. I think that is the powerful laying of a foundation for a movement that could really do some, I don't want to say damage, but, you know, really commit to some progress uh, in this country because it is by the people for the people. It's not about one individual, one ego. It is about all of our rights to a better life that is currently being denied to us by an arbitrary, antiquated, racist and fascist fucking classist um, act of parliament. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we do our best and we'll keep fighting uh, for everybody. Um, But yeah, please get involved. You know, that's what I need. We need more people to stand up and, you know, tell the truth. 100%, 100%. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, if we can find some champions through this campaign in each kind of region, 
I think there is some scope for some direct action. For all, we're under some quite fascistic uh, anti-protest laws in the UK at the minute. I need to refresh mm. on what we're currently allowed and not allowed to do. For all you know, as lot, we're very pro-civil disobedience. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's things that can be done, especially with the protection of prescription holders. You know, we can do flash mobs of prescription holders in an area and make huge clouds of vaporized cannabis and, and hand out flyers and whatever else. There's, I think, ways that we can coordinate um, moving forward diffused campaigns that don't need too much centralized um, planning um, and too much centralized sort of input uh, or financing but allow people to make these statements in ways that they feel comfortable and safe to do so but that challenge these narratives um, because I think it's, it's vitally important that we, we keep this conversation going and we do not allow you know the, the the wave to to lose any energy because we're closest to the shore we've been in a long time i feel yeah there's the legalization all that stuff over there but majority of the energy behind that are people that want to see the end of cannabis prohibition and they just don't understand the legalization isn't the end it's the continuation of prohibition absolutely Okay, look. Uh, I think we'll ask our usual final question. Uh, although saying that, you'll probably be back in bloody ten episodes at this rate again. Uh, but that's good. We always appreciate having you on the podcast. But the usual question is, as always, what does the future hold for you, guy? What are you going to be working on? Um. Yeah, we'll just keep going with all these human rights challenges. Really. Um. You know, I'm also interested. You know, although I've done these papers on housing and employment and different discrimination. I'm interested to get more feedback from the community on what other forms of discrimination, you know, family discrimination, family disputes, um, you know, what, what else is going on? You know, I'm, I'm, I don't have a prescription. I, I don't face what other people face and everybody faces these different things. So yeah, you know, I want to try and cover all bases so that we can nip all this discrimination and stigma in the butt. Uh, you know, we just need to like, but we need to know what's going on. So anything that comes across, contact us and, you know, we'll, we'll write a report on it. We'll get it over, like, you know, with the CIC backing it and so on and so on. And, you know, we'll we'll get them sorted. Um, but, yeah, we need to know what's going on so that we can find solutions. That's what we do. But apart from that, uh, yeah, it's getting towards hibernation time you know well it feels like it anyway <laughs> i can do with yeah. a bit of sunshine uh so yeah i'm just going to be busy working on all these cases over the over the winter but I'd, I'd like to get some more sort of action you know for the new year for next year i think you know like you were talking about you know can we do a protest can we do some sort of action some sort of mass civil disobedience you know now we've got the perfect art legal argument for cultivation should we do a big grow out you know overgrow the government don't know it's it's mm. planning time i think over the winter so i'm sure we'll come up with some some new exciting ideas and hopefully be back on your show in the new year awesome awesome yeah for sure for sure uh excellent we like i said uh throughout the podcast i include all the links to what we've discussed and where people can get various resources where they can donate to see our future where they can learn about the new campaign uh share the truth and end the stigma um so yeah, it's been a been a pleasure and a privilege as always, brother. Thank you for taking the time. No, thank you very much, brother. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant always. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you do because, of course, your podcast is exactly what we do: sharing the truth. 
getting it out there. And uh, it's, it's vitally important. So, yeah. Peace. 100%. 100%. All right, I'll let you uh, jump off, Guy. I'll do some housekeeping. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch up as the week goes by. Peace. Right. Peace and love, brother. See you later. Well, there you go, folks. That was Mr. Guy Coxall, the first of our five-timer club. Uh, we will have him back many more times. Uh, yeah. Great to catch up with Guy and all the work that he's involved in. As always, hope you found this informative, uh, educational, and in some way entertaining. Um, yeah, please find all documents uh, that we've referenced that are available in links below. Check out, obviously, the new campaign, Share the Truth and End the Stigma. Check out the Seed Our Future website. Uh, and yeah, keep up with Seed Our Future and their work online. Um, I have under good authority, they'll be doing a bit more social media work and increasing their presence in the coming sort of weeks and months so do keep an eye out for that and yeah i hope you feel inspired as always i hope uh you're excited for the future for all we ended up talking about some quite you know that downer things i guess um you know me always try and make this balanced i'm not sure how balanced that one was but there's a lot to be optimistic about folks um we're getting we're getting somewhere i know it doesn't feel like it but little by little the work of people like Guy is getting us closer to the acceptance of this argument that we have to decriminalize cannabis. You cannot build a legal system on something that, well, frankly, isn't illegal. You know, cannabis is lawful right now if you have an exemption, if you have authorization or you have a license. It's just you that's criminalized. And that's what we need to be dealing with here. And so campaigns like Seed Our Future and the work that they do, to me, is is foundational, is is fundamental to moving this argument forward and building uh legislation and laws that make sense when trying to govern human nature especially around you know the consumption of drugs like cannabis so yeah do check out the links below uh support guy where you can uh, there'll be a donation link as well if you want to support guys work directly i'm sure he will greatly appreciate it so we'll see our future team uh, and we'll make uh, the work that the great work that he is up to, um, yeah, that little bit easier and be able to increase capacity because there is a lot of people in this country that are facing discrimination with prescriptions, without prescriptions, and in, just around cannabis in general. So, anything that can be done to kind of help uh, support Guy would be greatly appreciated, folks. Uh, right, we're going to wrap up here because I'm just waffling on and yeah, I've kept you for like two hours. Always say we're going to do short ones. We never do a short podcast, do we, folks? If you've made it all the way through this, I said doth my cap to thee, and I thank you. Um, yeah, please do give us a like, share, subscribe if you enjoyed this. Give us a rating on whatever platform you're on, or a little star heart. There's so many platforms I'm on, so I'm not quite sure what you do to 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 show something. But any form of interaction helps with all the algorithms, helps deal with the shadow banning that typically you end up facing because of the nature of the content that I bring to you fine folks every week. Um, so yeah, if you really enjoyed this, check us out on patreon.com forward slash the simple life, where for less than a cup of coffee a month, you can help uh, keep the many lights on on this project of mine. Uh, check out the simple life.com for exclusive blogs, articles, and more content. Uh, find me on all social media platforms at simple life. You've been beautiful. I hope you have a wonderful day, night, whatever you're getting up to, wherever you are in the world. And yeah, we'll see you next week with, I don't know, somebody, a guest. That'd be cool. You'll enjoy it. All right. Peace and love, folks. See you next week. But yeah, that was a terrible introduction. I'm going to start the fuck again. <laughs> <laughs>
Sometimes the flow just isn't there. It just isn't there. All right, I might actually do the hand thing, but it'll make me feel better. <laughs>